caravan and trailer was a man named Stuart McRae, an aviation engineer by training who'd fallen into the world of journalism by accident rather than design. He was intrigued by the pictures of Clark's outlandish creation and decided to pay a visit to Bedford, taking the day off work in order to meet him. His first impression was one of disappointment. Clark was a very large man with rather hesitant speech who at first struck me as being amiable but not outstandingly bright. He was soon forced to revise his opinion. Clark had an expanding brain that functioned like an accordion. He sucked in ideas, mixed them together, and then expelled them as something altogether more melodious. Where most people saw problems, he saw only solutions. Clark opened up the yard behind the house in order to show McRae his latest brainchild. It was huge, far bigger than it looked in the pictures, and streamlined into the bargain. McRae was stunned. He felt as if he were looking at something from the future. Clark proposed a spin round the Bedfordshire countryside with himself at the wheel and his guest in the caravan. McRae made himself comfortable on the Dunla pillow cushions and got happily sloshed on the various bottles in the well-stocked bar. And as there were no breathalysers in those days, nor any stigma attached to drink driving, he was able to drive back to London without fear of being caught by the police. When he was back at work the following morning, somewhat sore of head, he wrote a fulsome article about Clark's extraordinary prototype. And there the story might have ended for Stuart McRae quit his job at Caravan and Trailer soon afterwards and took up a position as editor of Armchair Science. But one morning in the spring of 1939, McRae's secretary answered the phone to a mysterious caller. There's a Jeffrey somebody on the phone, she called across the office. He was calling on a matter of some urgency. McRae took the call and found himself speaking to someone called not Jeffrey, but Millis Jeffries. Jeffries said he was keen to find out more about one of the items featured in the latest issue of Armchair Science. You have an article about a new and exceptionally powerful magnet. I want full information about this magnet right away, please. McRae was taken aback by the caller's gruff manner and asked to know more. Well, it's a bit awkward, admitted Jeffries. I'm not at liberty at present to tell you what this is about. He suggested that they meet for lunch and talk it over in private. Forty-eight hours later, McRae found himself in the Art Theatre Club, seated opposite one of the most extraordinary individuals he'd ever met. Millis Jeffries had a leathery-looking face, a barrel-like torso, and arms that reached nearly to the floor. To McRae's discerning eyes, he looked like a gorilla. But when the gorilla opened his mouth, it was at once obvious that he had a brain like lightning. Jeffress explained that he worked for a highly secret branch of the War Office, one that specialised in intelligence and research. With international tensions on the rise, he'd been tasked with developing unconventional weaponry that might be needed in the near future. His interest in magnets stemmed from a revolutionary underwater mine that he was trying to develop. Its explosive charge was coated in magnets and equipped with a time-delayed detonator. The idea was that it would stick to the side of a ship when placed there by a diver and go bang in due course and sink the said ship. The need for such a weapon was real and urgent. Less than six months earlier, in the winter of 1938, 
Hitler had launched his Plan Z, the immediate and dramatic strengthening of the German Kriegsmarine. The plan envisaged the construction of eight aircraft carriers, 26 battleships, and more than 40 cruisers, as well as 250 U-boats. Britain was in no position to compete in such a naval arms race and was faced with having to find a more creative way to redress the balance. Senior figures in the War Office and Admiralty decided that sinking German ships would be more cost-effective than building British ones. But Jeffreys faced an insurmountable problem. He was unable to find magnets that would function underwater and was also too busy to build a reliable time-delay detonator. Without one, he knew that his half-built magnetic mine wouldn't work. After a well-lubricated lunch, finished off with goblets of brandy, McRae rashly offered to take over the project. One of its previous...